let's spend some time this morning talking about reproof and correction. Let's use the book of Proverbs to find out more about the meaning and purpose, the meaning and purpose of reproof and correction, how we should respond to reproof and correction, and then how we deliver reproof and correction. That's our three-point outline for today. Right? So first, we're going to talk about the meaning and purpose of reproof and correction. Then we'll talk about our response to reproof and correction. Third, and finally, we'll talk about how to deliver reproof and correction. I hope that everyone got a handout on your way in. I'll have to ask you to fold it yourself. I didn't have time to fold 50 of them, but they actually fold into a little booklet. It can look like this if you want it to, or you can leave it big, whatever you like. What you're going to find is in the back, all the Proverbs, that at least I can find, that deal with reproof and correction are just listed there in the back with the, with the verse and uh, chapter reference. So as we read them today, as I you know, call on people to read you know, a proverb, uh, you can just read off the back. Or you can grab your Bible if you want to, but it's, you know, it's right there on the back for you. And you can you know, read these later and, and study them later. So I hope that the Lord makes our hearts soft to reproof and correction and makes us wise in terms of how to reprove and correct others. Well, first, let's talk about the meaning and then the purpose of reproof and correction. We want to have a pretty good idea about what correction is. What do you think of when you think of the word correction? What comes to mind? Correction. To make right. To make right, yeah. Yeah, okay. Sure, you make it right. Oh, made a mistake, get to fix it. Correct. What else? Correction. Airplanes, airplanes, pilots, make sure they're correcting their sure. course. Yep. Yeah. So the constant process of you know making sure things are right. What else? Correction. Think about correction as it's applied to you, not something that you're doing, right? Correction as it's applied to you. What do you what do you think of? A learning opportunity. Learning opportunity. It's a positive way. Good. Good. Teachable heart. Learning opportunity. What else? Well, let's go to the dictionary. That's, it. That's helpful. Let's go to the dictionary and figure out what does the dictionary say about correction. Here's how it defines it. Quote, to point out, to point out, usually for amendment, the errors or faults of. So we're pointing out an error or fault for the amendment, for the correction of. Also, reformation or improvement. So this dictionary definition, I think, is important. So a lot of the examples that we gave were sort of, you know, self-correct. I'm correct this error. I'm going to correct this way I'm doing things. Right? It's sort of self-correction. But you know, reproof and correction, as we're talking about it today, is receiving correction from someone else. Right? You haven't found the fault yourself. Right? Somebody else is is correcting you. So this dictionary definition is important because it highlights two different modes of correction. The, two different purposes, let's say. The first one is what I'll describe as disciplinary correction. Disciplinary correction. The second is formative correction. Formative correction. The, the first one, disciplinary connection, is related to pointing out an error or a fault. That's a violation of a known instruction. You're pointing out an error or a fault as a violation of a known instruction. Let's give an example from parenting. Let's say your parent and you tell your child, don't touch the Christmas tree ornament, right? All the parents are like, oh yeah, I've had that conversation. Don't touch the Christmas tree ornament. And guess what? The toddler goes over, it's a toy, it's bright, shining, touches the Christmas tree ornament, right? What does a parent do, right? This is gonna be disciplinary correction, right? You go over and you say, I told you not to touch the Christmas tree ornament, right? Don't touch the Christmas tree ornament, right? Maybe you even redirect the child away from the Christmas tree, right? So this is disciplinary correction. You know the rule, you're violating the rule, now the authority comes in and points it out and, and corrects you, and corrects you, right? The other meaning is formative correction. Formative correction. Let's say that you want to learn to, take, uh, learn to play the piano, right? Your piano teacher gives you the, the lesson to learn, you practice it, you go to your piano lesson, and you're not doing it just exactly right. Your piano teacher is gonna correct you. No, 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 the fingering is like this. And here, here's how you do the dynamics and all the different things, right? The, the teacher is teaching you. It's formative correction. It's formative correction. 
This is kind of a happier kind of correction, isn't it? If you want to learn to play the piano, you actually invite the correction. You want to have the correction. But even if you, you know, don't want to do it, let's say you're at work and you're forced to take some training program, you don't really get you know, instinctively bound up and oh, right? If you, if you get an answer wrong and you have to correct your answer. Right? The stakes aren't that high uh, when you're having this sort of formative correction. Formative correction, all right? So that's the, those are the two ways the dictionary talks about correction. Disciplinary correction and then formative correction. <clears throat> Now the meaning of reproof, reproof. This is a little bit of an old-fashioned word. I mean, aside from church, I mean, who who used the word reproof or to reprove? You know, these. Days? What do you think it means? What does what does reproof mean to you? I'm going to reprove you. What am I doing? It is an old-fashioned word, right? I mean, you know, throw it out there. What what does it mean to reprove? I always thought of it as like getting fussed at, right? I'm getting scolded. I'm going to reprove you, right? Actually, that's not it at all. That's not it. Have to take a look at the dictionary definition. The definition of reprove is this: to to scold. Uh, that's that's the first part that I thought I had right, or correct, but usually gently, or with kindly intent. Reproof, right, has this intent to be gentle and kindly. It's not harsh. I always thought reproof sort of as a harsh word. Oh, you know, I've been reproved. No, reproof, you, you should welcome it. It's gentle. It's, it's meant in a kindly way. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very closely related to correction. Yes? Yeah, I was going to say, I, the way I, I kind of uh, understood it was explained to me is like, like a, a, the, somebody with a gem that's found in the earth and it's kind of encrusted and, 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 and you know, it'll take a harsh abrasive to sand it off because you'll ruin the, you know, the gem underneath, but it's that gentle, patient, you know, layer after layer, just, just taking off the, the grime until, until the gem shines through. Yeah, that's, that's a good word picture, right? That, that's the idea. You know, take a hammer to it, right? It's a sort of gentle sort of, you know, uh, reworking of, uh, of, of the gem. So the, the main difference, though, between correction and reproof is this element of intent. It's an element of intent. Here again, to scold or to correct usually, and here's the intent, Gently or with kindly intent. That's, that's reproof. So reproof is the kind of correction that's delivered entreatingly, right? Or with patience, with obvious and apparent kindness. It's the kind of correction, for example, that we see in Ezekiel 33:11. Here's what it says: As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? So you, so you can hear the entreaty, right? You can hear the kindly intent of that, of that reproof for the people of, of Israel. Turn from something harmful. Turn to something good, right? Please, I'm begging you, do it, right? That, that's the sort of the notion and the intent of, of reproof. Okay, any, any questions of the meaning of correction and reproof? Correction, sort of formative and disciplinary, but then reproof, the intent. So reproof then is, is always, it's a type of correction. Yes. All reproof yeah. would be correction, but not all correction would be. I guess that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Would you categorize kind of the difference between disciplinary and formative? Um, that all, like all correction would be formative in a sense, but maybe the disciplinary would be more direct and acute and reactionary maybe in nature. Yeah, or, yeah. I, think that, I think that's right. I mean, they're, they're related and there's a gray area between, right? Because, I mean, you could say, well, I'm, I'm giving you sort of disciplinary correction, but it's for the purpose of formation. Right, because it forms character to be able to receive that kind of correction. So they are very closely related. There's no hard line, I think, between the two of them. Right? Any correction kind of serve as one or the other, or sometimes both at the same time. Yeah. Um, when you talk about the intent of reproof, uh, usually being gently or kindly, uh, when I think of intent, I'm thinking of like a purpose or like a, a hope of a response in a specific way. Is, is that, am I thinking about it correctly, or is intent in this sense only referring to like the way that you do it? 
It's, I think it's both. I mean, it's primarily the way, right? But the way that you deliver the reproof is in the hope that the person will respond to it favorably, right? We'll talk in a little bit about bad ways to deliver correction and, and reproof, right? Uh, and they can engender bad responses. So by being gentle, by being kindly, we're trying to engender a proper response. Yeah, so it's a little bit of both. Yes, How would you apply that to Christ's correction in, like, to the Pharisees? I mean, it's informative and it's also like, somewhat uh, disciplinary. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it was sort of disciplinary to the Pharisees and formative for everybody watching. Yeah. Right? So it, it can be both at the, at the same time. You know, I'm thinking about sort of parenting as sort of a, a principal example, right? So when you want to correct your child, you have to, as a parent, to first decide, okay, is the child acting foolishly or out of ignorance? Do they know the rules? I mean, there's the kids, right? So if they don't know the rules, they're acting childishly, foolishly, then it's sort of formative discipline. Like, hey, look, no, no, here's how you do it. Right? You know, don't do it like that, right? It's gentle, it's, you know. But at some point, right, when the, when the child is deliberately disobeying you, they know the rule, you know they know the rule, and they're looking at you while they break the rule, right? Okay, then it's time for disciplinary correction. Right? So in, in parenting, sometimes it's a little easier to divide the two. But again, if, you know, it's not sort of this or that. There could be blending, and in your example, depending on who the audience is, depending on sort of who's seeing what's going on or receiving what's going on, it could be both at the same time. I mean, that's a good point, too. Jesus knew that his words were going to be recorded and then across time and space. That audience isn't just the people that were there, but for us. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay, so that's the meaning of reproof and correction, just in general. Let's talk about the purpose. Let's talk about the purpose of it. Proverbs offers two purposes for correction and reproof. Number one, to get good things. And number two, the flip side of the coin, to avoid bad things, right? Get good things, avoid bad things. So let's first talk about getting the good things, right? The purpose of reproof and correction in terms of getting good things. All right, here we go. We're going to have someone read. Um, who will read um, chapter 1, verse 23? Proverbs 1, 23. Yes, sir, go for it. Um, turn in my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit to you, and I will make my words known to you. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So look at the outcome here of listening to the Lord's reproof, his gentle correction. He will, what? Pour out his spirit on you. He will pour out his spirit on you and make his words, right, his truth, known to you. This is probably the best possible thing to get, right, when we soften ourselves to the Lord's gentle correction. But this is the, this is the outcome of a correct response to the gospel, right? God's gentle reproof, his gentle correction of our sinful, errant ways. The Holy Spirit and our consciences reprove us when we, when we sin. They convict us that we're not acting in accordance with God's good and his holy expectations for us. So when by God's grace we turn, right, we turn away and repent of our sins, when we turn at his reproof, right, his gentle correction of us, when we acknowledge before him that we are, in fact, incapable of living a perfect life, right? Incapable of actually satisfying everything that he corrects us about, everything he reproves us for. When we acknowledge the fact that we deserve the bad things by failing, right, to respond uh, to, to him. And then as a consequence, when we acknowledge that Jesus paid the death price for our disobedience, well, then he'll pour out his spirit on us, right? He'll pour out his spirit on us. He'll make himself known to us. He will save us. Right? So that's the best possible thing. Right? A, a teachable, soft heart that turns when God gently reproves us. The best possible thing to get is eternal life. Proverbs 6.23 says a very similar thing. It says, For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are here the way of life. The way of life. So if you want to find Jesus in the Proverbs, you can just look right here. Right? Here's a great example of a connection between the Old Testament and the Gospel. All right, next verse. Uh, actually, there's going to be three verses. So um, we'll do 13, 18, 
this is uh, 1, 25, and 26, and 30, 17. I'll just read them. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. So these are, these are amplifications, shocking, really, amplifications of the consequences of gospel disobedience. These pictures are terrifying. God laughing at our calamity, right? God mocking us when we are terrified by our impending doom, carrying birds, you know, picking out our eyes as, as we lie uh, dead or dying. These images are meant to startle us. I meant to startle us into a deeper appreciation of the consequences of, of disobedience to God, of ignoring his reproof. You know, better to be startled now, right, today, by these very vivid images, and these sometimes difficult to even understand. Like God's going to mock us? God's going to laugh at us? Right? Those are difficult images to really understand. But better to be confused and startled by them today, right, than to bear these images, right, and be inconsolably terrified on some future eternal day, right? Better to sort of deal with this now than have to deal with it later. So as the book of Hebrews admonishes us, it says this in Hebrews 3.13, exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. So today let's be startled. Let's not be startled for some eternal tomorrow. So these are the purposes of reproof and correction. To get good things, eternal life, honor, wisdom, intelligence, and to avoid bad things, eternal death, brokenness, calamity, and terror. So before we move off this, I want to just ask a question. Have you thought about how your response to sort of less important reproofs Right, can be a reflection of your willingness to respond to more important reproofs. So if you're hesitant to accept godly correction from your spouse, from a teacher, from a parent, if your heart's like, <clears throat> I don't like it, right? Think about what that means for your heart's response to God's reproof, right? On things that are that are much more important for your eternal sake. Right? If your instinct is Right? To push against the goads, right? To, to not want to accept the correction. Just be very careful. That, that, that's just evidence that your heart is reluctant to accept reproof. Um, so be marked by a teachable heart, not an unteachable heart. Okay, so that's the meaning and purpose of reproof. We're going to move on to how we respond to it in a minute. But before we do that, I'll stop here. Questions, comments, have I confused people? What do you want to say about the, the meaning and purpose of reproof or correction? I think uh, just two things. I, I accept criticism and feedback much better when I know the intent of the person is mm -hmm. good. If the intent of that person is not good, then no matter how wise and sage it is, I, I just kind of shut, shut down. That's probably a reflection of my heart, but it is also more difficult if I know the intentions are not good. And then the second thing I'd say is, like, uh, it's important to have like the same standard of truth. So speaking with another Christian, it's a lot easier to have those conversations. But I don't know what are your thoughts on, you know, dealing with someone who's not saved, and you know, what what does that conversation look like? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, really good questions, and, and I agree with with both of them. How it's delivered affects how it's received. Uh, let's talk about that in a minute when we talk about how to deliver reproof, yeah? Um, and then that sort of different ways to reprove people that, that may not share your same sort of worldview framework. We'll also talk about that. And so whether we deliver reproof, and if so, how. But both excellent questions. We'll, let's save them, and we'll, we'll get into them in a little more detail. One thing, and this might yes. set you up for the next section, um, but even speaking to a Christian community who... The receiving reproof might come back with just uh, what seem, is seemingly a humble response, biblical with verses and everything. 
how to go underneath that. Mm -hmm. It might be kind of a false, you know, uh, picture. Yeah. That's, like, so, so. that's right. And if that's the next section, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I do have something on sort of how you, you know, what we're aiming at. Yeah. You know, what's what a master approver is aiming at uh, when we're building a proof. Let's move on then to yes. Oh, any uh, so as we read some of these proverbs, um, any help for us as we're thinking through how to read them in a way that is both um, understands the the consequences being um, earthly here and now. There's there's going to be um, there going to be physical temporal consequences for our sin, and yet also reading them in light of of um, you know more spiritual realities as well. I just noticed that as you were teaching, I, the, the, it's helpful to think about those. But how do you how do you do that well as just studying scripture? So if you know if, if you don't listen to reproof, you'll die. So is Solomon talking about listen? If you don't listen to reproof, like you're going to bring a world of hurt into your life that may be irreparable. Certainly, that's true spiritually. Also, true just temporally. So anyway, just as a as a interpreter and uh, uh, reading those, how, how do you how do you think about about that? Yeah, no, it's a, it, it, it's a good point. I guess I would say that, like a lot of scripture, the proverbs have a couple different horizons, mm. right? I mean, there, there's a there's a long term eternal horizon. I mean, just because you ignore someone's correction doesn't mean you're going to drop dead, <laughs> right? That would be a wrong a wrong interpretation, mm. right? Of this admonition to listen to reproof, otherwise you'll die, right? Um, that, that's almost never going to happen. Sometimes it could. I mean, sometimes you could avoid a destruction and, you know, you ignore it and then, you know, you make a bad mistake and you, you physically die. That's not generally what happens, though, when, when you avoid reproof. So I, I think you're right. I think we have, to, we have to think about most of the Proverbs in terms of the here and now and also the eternal state because they, they speak to both. Um, you know, we should say this about Proverbs as well. I mean, this is proverbial wisdom. I mean, you can have a teachable heart Right? And listen to every godly reproof and accept every godly correction, and bad things will still happen to you in life. Right? So, proverbial wisdom is just that. Generally, it's true. If you have a teachable spirit, generally things will go better for you than if you have an unteachable spirit. On the other hand, you can have a completely unteachable spirit and your life looks pretty good. Right? So, proverbial wisdom is just that. It, these, these are general truths, these aren't necessarily, these aren't like if then. You know, kinds of statements. Um, so, in terms of the temporal, the here and now, the if then is a little bit less clear, mm -hmm. right? If you disobey, then you will die. Probably not, not in, not in general. But from an eternal perspective, they almost are kind of if then. If you don't listen to the general reproof of God, right, and admit and turn from your sin, then yes, right, there will be eternal consequences. So, think about two horizons the here and now and the eternal, a lot of these proverbs sort of speak to both. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Are you also getting into review, or is that another lesson? Because it seems that you know, the reproof is sort of that front end. We desire to gently and positively influence and, and shape and inform. And then some of these just seem like, if you don't do that, bam! <laughs> you, know, right? yeah. you know, there's this consequence over here. But, right, you know, right. So obviously there's rebuke that, that would, would come in there as well, right? To kind of yeah. more... In, in, Emphatically and, and, and more strongly no, that's right. bring warning yeah. to, to that action before that, that concept. No, we're not really going to get into review. Okay. You know, just, we're just going to focus on reproof and correction. There are, a whole there are a lot of modes of teaching sure, and instruction. Sure, sure, sure. Right? We're just going to focus on, on yeah. these two. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's move on then to responding to reproof and, and correction. So, how do we do that? Right, another, way is, another way to say it is, what does it look like to have a, a teachable heart? And then what does it look like to have an unteachable heart? Right, those, those are sort of the responses. Yes, I'm teachable. No, I'm not teachable. Okay, so again, there are bad and good examples. Bad and good examples laid out here in the Proverbs for teachable and unteachable hearts. So let's read four Proverbs all at once to talk about bad ways to respond to reproof and correction. Not bad outcomes, just bad responses, okay? So uh, I'll have four volunteers who will read verse three, I'm sorry, chapter three, 11 and 12. Yes, sir. And then who will read five, seven, comma, 11 through 13? Yes, sir. And then 15, 12. How about one of the youth in the room? 
There we go. Thank you. 1512. And then last, 1532. 1532. All right, young man. Come on, one of you. You're a little... Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. Young man. Okay, let's go. Just one after the other. So three, 11 through 12. Go. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be wary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father, the son in whom he delights. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth, lest at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed, and you say, How I hated discipline, and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my my instructors. A scoffer does not like to be reproved. He will not go to the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. Okay, so I hope this is all kind of washed over you. I'm just going to pick out a few words, right, out of all these verses that mark bad responses to reproof and correction. First, the unteachable heart despises, right, and even hates discipline and correction. Right, despise is a hard, is, is a strong word. It means to have contempt for, or have a deep repugnance toward. Right. So, do you have contempt for those who reprove or correct you? Right. Do you have contempt for them? Do you feel that it's not their place to tell you what to do? Is your favorite Bible verse, "Judge not, lest you be judged"? Right. That's one that you kind of hang on to a lot. Right. That might be evidence of an unteachable heart, right? Sort of content and those sort of things might be evidence of an unteachable heart. The unteachable heart, second, grows weary of correction, right? It grows weary of it. It just it makes the person tired, right, to hear the correction, right? You know, it's, it, your mind's going, oh, here we go again with this talk about sexual purity. Oh, here we go again with this admonition to, you know, regularly attend the public services of the church, right? You just kind of grow weary of the correction. You know, delivered over and over. If you find correction wearisome, it's drag to come to church because you know you're going to hear the correction again. You're going to hear that thing again about Jesus and the sin. And so, right? Whatever it is, if it's wearisome to you to hear about it, right? You might have an unteachable heart. So just be aware. If you're weary of instruction and criticism, your heart might be unteachable. Third, the unteachable heart does not listen. In fact, it puts itself, it, it, it avoids putting itself in a position where it has to listen. Right? Have you ever tried to reprove or correct the person who obviously didn't want to listen to what you had to say? I mean, it's just obvious. Right? You're, you're, you're remonstrating with them. You're, 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 you know, you're reproving them. You're using every single possible tool right, to get through to them. And you can just tell. Inside their mind, they're going, yeah, 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 blah, blah, blah. Right? They're just waiting for you to be done. Right? That's the mark of an unteachable heart. You know, a a heart that is not open to listening to reproof or correction. Finally, the unteachable heart does not like reproof. Doesn't like it. It instinctively pushes against it. Doesn't like it. So is it your instinct to argue when someone corrects you, reproves you, explain how you're right, how they don't understand the whole situation? You know, is that your instinct in terms of accepting reproof or correction? Well, you know, that might be evidence that you don't like being corrected, right? Now, we're not going to like correction or reproof. And the reason we made the mistake in the first place, we thought it was a good idea, or we were going to like it, right? Somebody comes along and says, brother, sister, that that wasn't right. Of course we're not going to like it. You know, we like doing what we did. We don't like the correction. But a teachable heart is open to the correction. The teachable heart says, Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, you're right. I, I should have done that. Thank you for the correction. Thank you for the for the reproof. Now look, I'm gonna just say one thing. We're talking about good and bad ways, teachable, unteachable. You know, none of us have perfectly teachable hearts. Right? So these aren't on-off kinds of switches here. Oh, you're you're teachable, you're unteachable. Right? We all have imperfectly teachable hearts. And none of us have completely unteachable hearts. There, there's a blend. In, in each of our hearts. So what these proverbs do is it, they tell us how to tell the difference, right, between being unteachable and being teachable, right? So, you know, as we meditate on the proverbs, strive for being more teachable and less unteachable, right? Use these as signposts. Oh, I, did, I, I kind of push back against the goats. 
That's evidence of unteachableness. I don't want to be unteachable. I want to be teachable. Turn away from that. Right? That's, that's the point of, the, of these verses. Okay, so those are some of the bad responses to reproof and correction. Let's look at some of the good responses. I'm just going to read these myself here. Uh, uh, chapter 12, verse 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. We are to love discipline. We're supposed to love it. We're supposed to invite it. We're supposed to eat it like we haven't eaten in three days. We're supposed to drink it like it's cold water in the desert. We're supposed to love discipline and correction. Seek it. Invite it. Don't run away from it. So what does this look like in practice? Right? To, to love discipline, to invite it, to eat it up. Right? To not be satisfied if you don't get it. That's what it means to, to love something, right? Well, there are a couple things. Make it a practice of asking the people that you live with whether you did anything yesterday or in the last week that caused them trouble. Right? Invite the criticism. Hey, you know, I, I'm not perfect. You know, what did I do last week? I, I, you know, what did I do last week that hurt your feelings? You know, what did I what did I say last week that was harsh? Right? Invite the reproof. Invite the criticism. That's what it means to love discipline, to love correction. Meet up with people that are your mentors, right? Those that disciple you, those, you know, those that discipline you. Tell them what's going on in your life. Invite their insight. Invite their wisdom to be applied to your life. Confess your sins. Bring it out in the open. Let that person reprove you gently, correcting you gently because they can tell that you're open to it. Right? That will help you right, avoid sin and uh, avoid making mistakes. Be open also to correction from God's Word. Right? Open yourself up to God's Word. Read it in the morning. Right? Compare it Right, to what you did yesterday. Right? And then by God's help, right, correct that so that you don't do it today. Right? God's word itself can correct. Invite it. Eat it up. Right? Drink it like cold water. Here's another proverb. He who listens to reproof gains intelligence. So we've already seen that an unteachable heart does not listen. But we're to be marked by listening to reproof. So what does that look like? When you're being corrected, pay attention, right? Don't, as the proof is coming, as the correction is coming, look, I'm a lawyer, I'm, I'm guilty of this, right? Don't line up your next arguments, right, in your mind. Okay, they said A, B, and C, I will come back in a minute, I will hit them, right? Avoid that, right? Listen intently, listen actively, nonverbal cues, verbal cues, don't interrupt, just, just take it. Maybe they're not all right, they don't know the whole situation, they don't know, that's fine. They're, they're humans too, right? But don't, don't as you're listening, right, prepare your response. Prepare your defense. Prepare to kick back against that person. Listen intently. And you get intelligence when you listen intently. You know more about why they're correcting you. You, you hear them. They may not be completely right. Maybe they are completely right. If you don't listen, you don't gain the intelligence, right, the information that you need to respond correctly to the reproof. And don't just listen to other people that are correcting. Listen to God's word. God's word itself corrects you. So as you're listening to God's word in a sermon, as you're reading God's word, you know, from the Bible, right, let it soak in. Don't be self-defensive. Listen to it. Let it sort of penetrate your heart so that you can respond to it. All right? So those are good ways and bad ways, right, to, to, to take and to, and to respond to reproof and correction. We're going to move on to how to deliver it in a minute. Maybe your favorite part. Okay, now we're going to get to it. Now, here's how I'm going to be in charge. Tell people what, what they're doing is wrong. Before we do that, as fun as that's going to be, right? Any questions about good ways, bad ways to respond to reproof, correction? I know one, uh, just a, more of a thought, I guess, but... Growing up, my my parents, uh, as I was doing, you know, playing sports, my uh, they always told me, "Don't worry whenever your coach is yelling at you. Worry when he stops yelling at you." Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was always a principle in in our family, in athletics, that um, you know that that when somebody is is reproving and correcting you, it's actually a good thing because they they care about you, they see something in you, they they want you to get from point A to point B. And we all had the, the teammate or the classmate or whatever that the coach or the teacher said, you know what, just 
have it your way. They wrote I'm, them off. I'm done. I'm yeah. done trying to. I'm done trying to correct you. I'm done trying to reprove you, um, because you know better. You know it all. You're not going to listen. And so I was just that, that came to mind when I was thinking of those good and bad examples because I think the way that we respond to reproof is going to, you know, if, if my wife corrects something and I just completely, you know, get defensive, like she's yeah. going to stop pointing that out. She's not worth it anymore. You know, if, if kids respond to parents that way, you know, there's there's that tendency or the the discipler in my life to say, you know, they point out something and I, I you know, get defensive and, and respond poorly. There may be a point where they're like, all right, just kind of have it your way. You're going to, so anyway, there's, we can, we can actually, I mean, it's, it's bad enough to respond poorly and to not respond in the appropriate way, but then we, we can actually start to cut off those, you know, lines of, of, uh, communication and, yeah. and relationship that, that are necessary. You know, that's exactly right. I want to key on what you just said, relationship. But when you do that, when, when you don't invite criticism, when you respond poorly to criticism, what it does is it, it actually separates, it creates a separation in the relationship. I mean, think about your spouse, right? If you're consistently just kind of pushing back against your spouse, they're probably going to give up. They're just going to stop talking to you about that thing, right? Well, that, that, that's going to create, you know, distance between you around that thing. And then, you know, in a 30-year marriage, 31-year marriage like mine, those things can add up. And next thing you know, you're living with a roommate because you've broken the relationship in all these different ways because you've not invited and accepted the criticism. And more broadly with God, the same thing happens, right? You know, while it's today, respond to the gospel message because there will come a time, right, where you're not able to respond. And the relationship is irrevocably broken. All right. Yes. To that point of the active listening, um, my wife and I went through what we call it maintenance counseling. We try to do it every two to three years. Yeah. We did your prepare and enrich. This is a, a previous church that we went to, um, and uh, we had a couple of elders, an well, elder and his wife, uh, walk us through a, an exercise where we would pick a topic. I would talk about it for you know. A paragraph or so, and then she would talk about the same topic in reverse. And the exercise was repeat back to your spouse what you said. Uh, and I, she was like, she said what back what I said, and she did fine. And then she said her paragraph, and I said, oh yeah, she said this, this, and this. You know, I'm using all these like techniques I learned, memory palace, like oh, I got this. And then the couple in front, the yeah, the couple, I consider them my spiritual mentors. Like you got everything wrong. Like, and I was like, okay, there's no way I got it. I'm like, no, right. this is what you said. This is what she actually said. Yeah. And so it reminds me of a, just a quick note. It reminds me of a book by Chris Voss, Never Split the Difference in a Negotiation Book. And it says, the most powerful thing you can say, at least in the initial phase of negotiation, the most powerful thing you can hear from the other side is, that's right. That means that they know that you understand. Because you can say to your spouse, oh, I understand, I understand what you're going through, I understand, blah, blah, blah. But when they know that you understand, then it, it opens up the door for conversation. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, let's press on. How to deliver reproof and correction. Thanks for those comments. Those, those, were, those were excellent. Maybe it's your favorite part here. I don't know. Let's see. Um, so we've talked so far about how we receive, right, reproof and correction. Good ways, bad ways, and then, you know, sort of consequences of receiving it or, or not receiving it. So let's talk about how we deliver reproof in a good, godly, wise way. Um, let's be honest. The, the, the first thing you have to do when you think about you know, delivering reproof and correction is whether you even should. Right? And so that, that's the threshold. You know, because we're, we're not charged as people in general or as Christians with this sort of free-roaming license to walk around and just correct everybody. Oh, hey, you know, we're not like the assistant principal at a school, right? You know, pull up those pants, right? Get a haircut, you know, break it up. I mean, that, that's not what we do as Christians or people just kind of walking around. If we do that, we'll, we'll quickly gain a reputation of being officious and you know, bossy and meddlers, right? So, you know, the, the first question is, you know, is it my job here? Is it my obligation here to, to reprove or to correct in this, in this context? Sometimes you're just not the right person to deliver the reproof or the correction. At the same time, though, we can't neglect our duties to, re to reprove and correct, particularly if we have authority or responsibility for a person, right? It would, be, it would be lazy of us not to do the hard work of reproving and correcting in a wise way if, that, if we have an obligation to do it. So for parents, it would be our children. You just, you just can't not reprove and correct your children. For bosses and managers, that's your employees. Right? You have an obligation to reprove and to correct them. 
So for the elders here, as you will know very well, it's all the sheep here under your care. You have this difficult, burdensome obligation to reprove and correct, even when you know the sheep have teeth sometimes, right? You still have to you still have to do the do the work. So before we turn to these proverbs about how to deliver, let's turn to Second uh, Timothy four one and two. I'll just read it. I charge you, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Right? That's how you do it, with complete patience and teaching. So let this be our guide to reproof and correction. We must do it with complete patience and teaching. Okay, so now back to the Proverbs. We're going to divide these into three groups. For one, the necessity of reproof. Number two, the method of reproof. And last, exercising discretion as to when to reprove. So first, the necessity of reproof. I'm, I'm just going to read these couple of things here. So uh, 1324, so chapter 13, verse 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. And similarly, 2915, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. So these two proverbs are generally directed towards parents, but they also can apply to anyone who has authority and responsibility right, over, over another. So what we see here is that the failure to reprove and correct those for whom you have responsibility is the same as what? Hating them. Look at this. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. Right. So failing to reprove those who expect you and need you to approve to reprove them is the same as as hating. So failing to reprove and correct those that are under your care not only not only fails to train them up in the way they should go, it fails to train their hearts to respond to correction. Maybe that's the more important one, right? It's not a matter of just being good. Do A, do B, do C, right? It's the idea of being open to correction. It's the training of the heart. That's the most important part of, 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 of reproof and correction, particularly for young children. Particularly for young children, but not only for young children, right? So in addition to reproving and correcting those over whom you have responsibility, we are also called to rescue those who are in danger. I'll read this one, 24-11. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter, right? We're called to rescue people through reproof and correction. So when we see someone stumbling towards death, right? If you're gonna see somebody stumbling into a crowded you know, street, what would you do? Hey, watch out, right? Or grab them, right? You would certainly do that. If you see someone stumbling towards spiritual death, our response would be, hey, watch out, you know, come back, get, you know, get away from, get away from that. We're called to rescue people who are stumbling towards danger. Right, with reproof and correction. So, you know, we can't save everyone from themselves. So prudence here is, is required. But it's a good instinct for us to have, to interpose ourselves, right, between a person and their headlong rush into disaster. This, this proverb, right, tells us share the gospel, right? This is what this means in a gospel sense, right? Finally, we're called to help our friends. We're called to help our friends. 27.6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. So even the truth, even kindly given can cause wounds, right? Because we're people, we don't always accept, you know, criticism, well, it can cause a wound, right? Something has to be healed. But those, those wounds are faithful, right? Because they're delivered by a, a friend. What kind of friend will we be if we never offered reproof and correction to, to a friend who, who's headed in the wrong direction, right? We wouldn't be, we wouldn't be a good friend at all. So for, you know, we're, we're called to live in community with each other, and particularly for our close friends, that means to look out for each other. And that means even delivering faithful wounds through correction and rebuke to our friends. So that's the, the necessity of reproof, right? Is it necessary to reprove someone? Number two, the method of reproof. The method of reproof. Proverbs offers instructions on how to deliver reproof and correction. Good ways 
in bad ways. You see the, the theme here, right? It, 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 it's a great book for teaching because it gives you positive and negative examples. So let's talk about the bad ways first to deliver reproof. I'll just read these again. 11, 12. Whoever belittles his neighbors lacks sense. Number two. A man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. And the third one, 12, 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. So correction or reproof that's belittling or cruel or rash, it's ineffective. But even worse, it teaches the person that correction or reproof is hard and dangerous and bad and to be avoided. Right? So, I have one quick one. Yeah. I remember there was a friend. Uh, I said something in a correction. It was true what I said. Yeah. But I said it out of frustration. There you go. Rash. Actually, best for him. Yes. I thought, if I just said it like, probably a little gently, same truth, but um, especially like, I like the Apostle Paul, because before he corrects a lot of the church, well, except Galatian church, but he, he, a lot of times he's like, you know, I, I thank God for you and. I think sometimes it's good to think about like think you're thankful for the person and what's good about them before you correct them versus yeah. like frustration when this person's right or uh, right right yeah a rash correction you know like you said right your parent child's done something you've told them over and over not to do right I told you not to do that right every parent sort of bought it like that right just kind of get the kids back. I told them right that's a rash correction it's not effective it startles your kid if you don't do that very much it's startling Right? If you're a parent, if you're a person who delivered a rash correction, you should repent of it. You should show the person, like, I, yeah, I didn't do that correctly. Right? It's your child. I, you know, daddy lost, lost a little bit. Right? I know I spoke harshly to you. Right? Will you forgive me? Let's start over. Let's, let's give a good correction yeah, next time. So rash, belittling, cruel kinds of comments. I mean, belittling things. Right? Like, you know, you'll never amount to anything. Or if you don't straighten up, you know, your life is going to be a shambles. Or you can just imagine all kind of belittling, cruel things that you can say to someone that, that would not be good methods of, of reproof. So with God's help, avoid belittling, cruel, or rash corrections and, and, uh, and reproofs. Okay, good ways to reprove. Good ways. I'll read this. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. So our correction or proof should be gracious. Shouldn't assume that we know everything about the situation, that we know everything about the person. We're going to go in, we're going to, we, we think we see something that needs correction or proof, but we're going to go in graciously. Right? Give them the benefit of the doubt. Let them speak. Let them understand what's going on. I kind of call this sort of moving in sideways on somebody. Instead of like confronting them like this, like, hey, brother. It's kind of like, hey, brother, right? It's, it's kind of like this, right? It's sort of this gracious kind of engagement with the person. Like, I heard what you said, you said a couple things. Let me just offer this perspective, right? It's gracious. It's a, it's a soft, gentle way of, of correcting someone. Words like these are, are like honey. They're sweet. The person's going to accept them. They're going to swallow them down a lot easier, right, than if you give them the vinegar of some kind of confrontational, right, well-meant, maybe even completely true, Maybe not even rash. Maybe you thought about it, right? You know, it's not like, you know, instantly be like, oh, I need to really get this guy's face because he's not, right? That generally isn't the way, right, to deliver effective reproof. Another one, uh, 31, 10, and then 26. An excellent wife who can find. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. So our reproof should be full of wisdom. How do you get wisdom? What's wisdom? Wisdom is the right application in our context here. God's word to life. Right? God's word to situations in life. How can you apply God's word to situations in life if you don't know God's word? Right? So to apply wisdom to someone, you have to know God's word. You have to be able to apply God's word to people, where they live, what they're doing in, in their lives. So this proverb speaks of an excellent wife which is fantastic, whether she opens her mouth to her children, right, to her broader family, to her husband, those in the church, those in the marketplace, but it's, it applies to everyone as well. Men and women, right, are called to speak wisely, with wisdom, and with kindness. 
two more, and then we'll be done. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Judiciousness is the, is the sort of concept of saying what needs to be said, but no more. And nobody wants to hear you go on and on and on about what they've done in their life that is just all screwed up, right? Be judicious about the correction, right? Be short. Right? The character Polonius, right, in, in Shakespeare's Hamlet, right? He just kind of goes on and on and on, unsolicited advice to his sons. He's going off to a different country. And he's played as a fool, right, because he just goes on and on. Don't be like that. Be judicious in your speech. Also, be persuasive. Right? Be persuasive in your speech. What's persuasive for one person is not persuasive for a different person. So this requires intelligence and wisdom to know what will be persuasive to that person. Some person you can call to a sense of duty. They'll respond very quickly. Oh, it's my duty. Okay. Others, eh, duty, that's kind of old-fashioned. You have to use a different approach right? to being persuasive with, with different people. Here's the last one. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water but a man of understanding will draw it out. So here's the mark of a really excellent reprover and corrector. The amateur focuses on behavior, right? Be good, do X, do Y, do Z. But the master reprover, the master corrector, roots around in the heart of the matter. What emotionally, what spiritually is driving this behavior that I've noticed, right? That requires great care and sensitivity and, and wisdom. The master knows that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So rather than just <coughs> talking about what you just said, right? It's like, why did you say that? Well, you know, what's going on in your heart? That's the heart, but that's what we should strive for. We should strive for master reprovers and correctors by understanding the heart of the matters. Okay. Last thing, and then we'll be done, is exercising discretion not to reprove. We just offer you this one verse. It's chapter 9, verses 7 through 8. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Does that mean that, so what's a scoffer? What's a scoffer? It's a person who makes fun of, right? Or holds in contempt, sort of a mocking person. Generally, they're mocking religion or morality. That's generally what it means to be a scoffer, right? Does it mean we should never correct a scoffer? No, no. But we should be careful about correcting scoffers. Think, think about these. You know, so first, you have responsibility or authority over the scoffer. Well, you gotta lean in, you gotta correct them. Doesn't matter that they're scoffers. You just gotta deal with the pain Right of correcting a scoffer if it's your duty, your obligation to correct them. Second, scoffing can sometimes just be a defense mechanism. It can just be a surface. Deep down, the person is in pain, and a scoffing is a way to cover that up. Well, in that situation, you know, you might gently lean in, see if you can't get past the scoffing and get down to the heart of the matter. So you can reprove a scoffer in that situation. Are you looking to reprove a scoffer on the internet? Don't do it. Hard stop. Just forget it. Right? That, that, not the place to reprove scoffers on, on the internet. And then last, can a scoffer harm you? This verse talks about scoffers that can harm you. Right? Should we reprove scoffers who can do you harm? You're at an office meeting, right? And you stand up in front of everybody and you point your finger at the head of HR. You declare that she's a sinner because the corporate policies having to do with diversity and inclusion, you know, are inconsistent with the Christian worldview. Probably not the wisest thing to do, right? That, that's not the time to go up and, and correct, right, a, a scoffer or a whole group of scoffers. At the same time, sometimes you find it necessary, right, in the discharge of your gospel duty to reprove scoffers even if they can hurt you. And that's happened recently in this very church, right? One of our members reproved, shared the gospel, reproved the scoffer, was seriously injured, right, as, as, a, as a consequence. Well, guess what? That's the time for God to show, right? That he works all things for good. For people who love him, called according to his purpose, the church comes around, makes God's love uh, manifest. And, and, and we, we did so in meaningful ways for, for that person. So don't be afraid of the injury, right? The world hates Jesus, they're going to hate you. But be wise about when you reprove a scoffer.
Okay, well, we're done. We started a little bit late, so we're going to wrap up right about now. We talked about the meaning of reproof and correction, the, the purposes of reproof and correction, uh, getting good things like eternal life, avoiding bad things like eternal punishment. We've talked about what we should do in response to godly correction, what we shouldn't do in response to godly correction, and we've talked about how we should deliver right, godly reproof and correction. So I hope that we have all learned a little bit today about reproof and correction, and that we've all been encouraged to see more clearly how God intends reproof and correction for our own good.